Yeah, what a privilege um, to serve students, 781 now that have walked through our doors, and you've been a part of that, so thank you. I, uh, I joke when I usually start off one of my messages by just giving you a warning. This is kind of like the warning label you get on different things. I was a youth pastor for about 20 years, and so some things I say, my wife says, why did you say that? Because it just kind of comes out. And uh, just be warned, okay, before I get, in fact, I was in Mexico uh, years ago, and I speak Spanish fluently, or at least I thought I did, and I, I was in front of a whole congregation of young people, and I was preaching, preaching, preaching in Spanish, and I, I told them in, in accidentally that I was pregnant in Spanish, and so just no guarantees today about uh, how this is all going to rock and roll, but I want to tell you a story that uh, kind of kicks off the theme of my message. I was, uh, 1978, became a volunteer firefighter at the age of 16 in my little hometown of Lake Stevens, Washington, and to be an EMT, emergency medical technician, you had to do ER time. So I was down at the ER in Edmonds, Washington, doing my hours, and I'm in the emergency room, and a guy walks in the door, and he says, boy, I'm not really feeling very well, my, my chest hurts, and, and uh, I had way too much beer and pizza tonight, I did, got heartburn like crazy, and I just want you to check me out. I said, sure, so nurses brought him in, and then I started uh, to uh, do vitals, and the nurses all left. And I put up, you know, EKG, of course, on his chest to watch his, watch his heart. And I'm talking with him, all of a sudden I hear this, which is flatline, right? And I look up and he's like, what's going on? I said, oh, one of your electrodes popped off. <laughs> so I put it back on and we're chatting, 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 and I'm doing his, his, his uh, blood pressure. And he says, you know what? He says, I feel better already. And I said, oh, I'm glad you feel better already. And then I hear this, and I look up, and he goes, and crashes right in front of me. I yelled, code, and the nurses and the docs, and I started thumping on his chest. A week later, I came back to, to finish my, um, my ER rotation, and there he was. I got a chance to talk with him. But I tell you that story because on his last breath, before he died, his famous last words were, gee, I feel better already. Famous last words. Be careful what you say because you don't know when your last breath may come or you tell somebody that you're, that you're pregnant. Today's message is a tale of two Carlsons, famous last words. And I want to take you first to our brother, Dr. Paul Bomoganga, they called him Carlson. Dr. Paul was a missionary sent from the Rolling Hills Covenant Church of LA in 1964 to Congo, Africa, then also known as Zaire. Dr. Paul, when he got there, found out that he was the only doctor in a large area in this little small hospital in Wasolo. His family, his children, of course, were with him. And 1964, there was a rebellion among the people in the Congo and uh, it was called the Simba Re uh, Rebellion, and a lot of the uh, country went into civil war, which is done a number of times, and they were all told they needed to leave and go across the river into the Central African Republic for safety, and Paul took his family, Lois, who's still alive today, over um, to, uh, to Bangui, and they went back on his own to take care of the patients, because he had nobody else to turn it over to while he was there, he was caught by those in rebellion, and he was imprisoned, 
they were told that he was a missionnaire, which in French is a mercenary, when in fact he was a missionnaire, which is what? Missionary. Words mean everything. And he was taken down to Brazzaville. He was in jail and prison with uh, other uh, expatriates as well as missionaries. And for a while, they were trying to get him out. Dr. Uh, President Johnson, Lyndon Johnson, had, had worked with the consulates and with different people to get him released. One day, the Belgian troops paratrooped, paratrooped, paratrooped in and started freeing all of the prisoners. But there was a big battle, a big fight. And Dr. Paul and other missionaries ran for this wall to get over. And as they're running and going over the wall, the missionary in front of Paul wasn't able to get over, and Paul goes up and starts to lift him over and is riddled with machine gun fire. Paul Carlson is our first martyr that we've had in the, in the country of Congo. And, and I wasn't there, of course, and I can't imagine exactly what Dr. Paul said, but my guess is that he was pushing that guy over the wall. He was going, go, 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 go. <laughs> and I think you'll agree with me that Jesus' famous last words were also to go. Dr. Paul, I was in Congo in 2007 preaching to the Covenant Pastors group there, and I got a chance to go to see his, his graveside, and it meant a lot to me because Dr. Paul said, I will go to the ends of the earth, even if it means my life being taken. So we go to that scripture verse that we've known if we've been in the church uh, studying the Bible very long. I want you to say it with me, would you? All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. This is Matthew 28. This is the end of the Gospels. Jesus has got just a few more words to pass on to these amazing men that he had been with and women as well. But he says, go. And this is a command form in the Greek. This isn't a whiny little if you want to. This is, you need to go. And you need to go, and while you are going in the Greek, it says, while you are going, make disciples. Don't make little Christianettes. Don't make good tithers. Don't make Sunday school teachers. Don't make pastors. I want you to make people who are gonna follow me and the word of God. And so he said, go. And he said, make. Famous last words. When I was young, a new Christian, actually, I read a book, and I also heard the music of a guy named Keith Green. Who remembers Keith Green? Yeah, Keith Green said this, Jesus commands us to go, and it should be the exception if we stay. Did you hear that? Jesus commands us to go. It should be the exception if we stay. Well, why do we go? What, what, what's the big picture here? What's the big narrative? Why, why do all this going and making? And this verse is awesome. Let's say it together. And after this, I looked. And there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and the Lamb. This is it. This is why we go and make. I have something to tell you, friends. The club is not full. There are memberships yet to be made. Heaven still has openings. And there is coming a day when this mighty scene will fulfill the purpose of Jesus coming to die for each of us. There'll be this mass of humanity that nobody can count 
from this multitude standing before the throne and the Lamb, all those of us who are spiritually born again, that were extended God's amazing grace from an amazing loving God, we'll be there. This is what it's all for. This is the end game. I know a lot of us know John 3.16, but John 3.17 doesn't get enough credit. Let's say it together. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. That's why Jesus came. That's why the multitude that we're going to stand before is necessary. We need to go and make disciples. I want you to turn to your neighbor, and I want you to say these words. Are you ready? I don't want to be a caboose. Go ahead and say it. I don't want to be a caboose. All right. What's this crazy Alaskan talking about? Jesus, when he began in his apostolic ministry, he reached out to 12 men. Uh, I kind of say 11 and a half. One of them didn't quite make it all the way. Reached out to those men and he said, come and follow me. And that began what's called the apostolic train. The train came from Jesus to the 12, to the 300, to the 1,000, the 3,000, all the way down to 1978 when a high school kid at age 16 named Keith Hamilton surrendered his life to Jesus Christ because somebody in the apostolic train had gone and made a disciple with Keith. I had the choice at that point to either be a caboose and be at the end of the apostolic train or to continue that apostolic train. And it's been a joy and years of ministry. You don't have to be a pastor or an evangelist to share with people the good news of Jesus, and you can help them to become a part of the apostolic train. I don't want to be a caboose. So Jesus' last words in Matthew are for you and for me. Are you engaged in fulfilling those multitudes with disciples so that when that day comes, that wonderful day, we'll all see Jesus together and his Father. Do you have the mission heart of Jesus that those things that break his heart also break your heart enough that you are open to receive the mission to do something radical? And you've been studying through Acts. My home church in Soldotna is also teaching through Acts this, this semester. And I would tell you that Acts chapter one is again another one of those Famous last words. Jesus is on the mountain. All the disciples and a lot of the ladies, his mom, they're all there. And Jesus actually says the very, very, very last thing before he goes to sit at the right hand of the Father. He says these words. Let's say them together. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses, ambassadors, in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. These are his famous last words. Then he says, guess what? I'm coming back again. Do you believe that? I do. And we're waiting. We're waiting every day, hopefully before April 15th. More of his famous last words. He didn't say this. Here's the Powerball number for the lottery. He could have said that, given you the number. He could have said, here's the spouse you're going to marry for the rest of your life. That would have been cool. He didn't say, here's the stock to buy for retirement, so you'll be set. And he didn't even give us the cure for cancer or COVID. <laughs> what he said was, you'll receive power, and you are to go be my ambassadors 
This command uses some text, the word ambassador. An ambassador, as you know, is a representative of their home country while they're living over in a different country. And Jesus is commanding us to be his ambassador first in Jerusalem. So right here in Alec, right here in your home with your children and your, and your teenagers, with your grandparents, with your grandkids, you are to stay right here and you are to be ambassadors among people that you're closest to. And then Judea. Judea, as we know, is the bigger surrounding area around Jerusalem, maybe your state, maybe your county, places that you go. I imagine many of you drive by ministries or places that um, are on the roadway and you go, man, I wonder who, who serves there. Maybe you should be the one serving there. And then Jesus says, I want you to go to Samaria. Now, nobody liked the Samaritans. We've read this, right, many times. Nobody wanted to go to Samaria. Everybody went around Samaria to get to where they're going. Jesus went right through it. And he said this, that we are to be engaged in bringing the good news to the poor, to the homeless, to the sick, and to the imprisoned. The hardest people in the world to go to, Jesus says, you need to go. And then he finally, of course, that famous, you also need to go to the ends of the earth. Now, a lot of us Christians growing up in church were scared to death that if we said, yes, Lord, I will go, that we'd end up in Africa, Right? Okay, well, I also thought that as a new Christian, but fortunately, I know Africa starts in an A and ends in an A. Yeah, I kind of did it in Alaska, you know, so it kind of worked out. Will you prayerfully consider going to the ends of the earth? In modern day time of the Apostle Paul, when he talked about also going to the ends of the earth. It's a town in northwest Spain called Finisterre. And I was just there actually last fall on my sabbatical. Finisterre means end of earth. And they thought that literally was the end in that day and time of the earth was northwest Spain. Well, if you have a globe, I know we had those globes when we were kids and my bedroom I had a big one and you could spin it around and look it around the world. If you take your finger and you punch it into Jerusalem, and then you go all the way across the globe to the farthest point away from Jerusalem, the end of the earth. Anybody want to guess where it is? Nome, Alaska. I made it. Well, Nome's 500 miles north of me, but we almost made it. That's the end of the earth. Jesus says you need to go, and people have gone for centuries. My good friend, Nancy Reed, uh, Dr. Jerry Nancy, we were missionaries in Mexico City in the mid-1980s, and I was there a year with them. And Nancy said this once to me, and it has stuck with me um, from that time forward. Keith, if you're going to look for Jesus, then you need to go to the ends of the earth, because that is exactly where he is. Are you willing to consider going to the ends of the earth to make disciples to make Jesus followers. Debbie and I and our three little kids packed up our bags in 2001 and uh, flew to Alaska to start Alaska Christian College. It was really cool. My title was President of Nothing. And uh, we began with those 22 students and, and 12 uh, staff July 1st of 2001 in a big, big house that was on 10 acres with a swimming pool in it. And we didn't have anything, and God began to fulfill the dream of Alaska Native peoples to have one place that their kids after high school could go and receive a Christian education. We started five days after 9-11. We reached out 
basically to Eskimos, but also Athabascans and other native peoples. We have had Navajos come. We've had Lakota Sioux come from Minnesota, Obidjue come from. So we, we're familiar with native peoples, but 95% of our student body are, are, are native. And it's not my background, although I'm, I have uh, Yakima Indian in me. If I had a nosebleed, it would all disappear. But I do have some Yakima blood in me. So here we are with all these students like Buff who come from really third world villages where I don't know if Buff's village has even running water because many of the villages still don't have running water today. We packed up and we left just waiting for the biggest adventure of our life. And if God calls, if he calls you to go somewhere, I need you to hear this really loud and clear. It's only the sure insistence of the Holy Spirit tapping you on the shoulder, making your heart beat hard, that tells you that there might be something that God is doing through you to consider mission. The Holy Spirit works in many divine ways, but that's what happened to me. The most dangerous place to be, friends, the most dangerous place to be is just one little millimeter outside of the will of God. There are excuses why we shouldn't go. I understand that everybody in this congregation can't pack up and go to Africa or Alaska. Actually, Arizona starts with an A and ends in an A too. That would be too bad. I know you can't because of age, because of your health, because of your, your family and where your kids are maybe in life. But if everybody had an excuse, then nobody would go, right? Do you know that we're one generation away from the Christian church being in extinction? if people don't go and make disciples. But you also realize that we're one generation away from the whole world hearing about Jesus because none of us are caboose-eye. Is that correct way to say cabooses, caboose-eye? Yeah, there are good excuses. Some of us will today say, yeah, it's just no way. But I'm gonna invite you to consider this. William Carey was a missionary in the, uh, in the 1800s. He was from uh, England. He felt a call to India. And nobody had gone to India. He was one of the first missionaries to ever go to India. When he got there, it was hard. It was rough. He went through all kinds of horrible things that happened to him. And he wrote back to his church back home these words. I will go down into the pit, but the rest of you must hold the rope. Do you hear that? I'm willing to go to the ends of the earth, but if I'm gonna go, guys, I need you to back me up. I need you to hold the rope for me. And that means you're gonna pray for me. That means you're gonna provide for my, my family the resources that we need to do the mission here in this amazing place in India. I am willing to go down to the pit, but the rest of you must hold the rope. One of the scriptures also, I had never heard this and found it in Romans 15. And I make it my ambition, Paul says, to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. You hear that? He says, I'm gonna go, but I'd rather you go to a place where nobody has been. There are still 3,200 um, language groups in the world that don't have a single 
part of the scripture in their own language. And Wycliffe missionaries are working on changing that story. You know, I don't know how the Holy Spirit works, but I know he's alive and active, and God might be calling somebody here this morning toward mission in Judea, Samaria, um, Jerusalem, ends of the earth, or to hold the rope. I had a family come up to me after the first service and said, hey, Keith, we want to hold the rope for Buff. And I said, well, how do you want to do that? And they said, we want to help pay for her education. Because you know what? Someday Buff is going to be leading a ministry. I know it. It's in my, deep within my heart that she has the capacity and the heart and the desire to go back to her village of Kasigluk and make a difference for Jesus Christ. What a great investment that they're making in this young lady. Perhaps some of us are willing to commit our resources and able to send others. Maybe you want to give to Alaska Christian College through that and providing through your trust or your will or pray specifically for the missionaries that are there. Um, We're inviting you to hold the rope today. I love the verse that says, how beautiful in the mountain are the feet of those who bring the good news. There are um, many, many tombstones in Unilaclete. Unilaclete, by the way, is where it all began. The Covenant Church began its mission outwork out, uh, in, in 1885, 1887, the first missionaries came to China and to Russia the missionary went to, Ch- to Russia was Axel E. Carlson. He got kicked out for being an evangelist, left and decided to go back to Alaska because he could see Russia from there, I was told. And um, he started on this mission in 1887 in Unalakleet. And when he got there and got off the boat, he actually saw Roger Rosengren when he got off the boat. Actually, Roger was there. Um, but he, uh, he found a young man in the village who spoke Russian and also the native language of Inupiaq. And he said to this young translator, would you take my black book with me and would you translate it from Russian into your people's language, Inupiaq? And that young Eskimo said again, yeah, sure, you betcha, and began to translate God's word. And as far as we know, the first person who gave their life to Jesus in Unilaclete and the entire Norton Sound was that young translator, Stefan Ivanov. His great-great-grandson is Curtis Ivanov, who I read, our conference superintendent. Isn't that awesome? If you go to Unilaclete today and you get off the plane, you're right next to the cemetery. I always go and I always go to Axel's grave. And when you're there at his graveside, you are a little bit embarrassed because it's the only one with a fence around it. It's eight feet tall. It's the tallest one in the village. And you know what? The pastors, our covenant pastors, native pastors, all of their tombstones are on the ground and they're all covered by, by a tundra. You're like, oh, why did they build this monstrosity? Well, when you read the inscription on it, you realize it wasn't the World Mission Department or the Carlson family that erected this monument. It's the villagers of Unilaclete. And on that tombstone are these words. Axel E. Carlson, born Sweden, 1858, died Unilaclete, 1910. And here are the words. When Axel came to our village of Unilaclete, there were no Christians. 
But when he left us, there were no pagans. The famous last words of Axel Carlson are emblazoned on this tombstone today to remind us of the mission to go. Because I have to tell you, friends, there are still 7.7 billion people that are in this world, you guys included, but three and a plus billion of those folks still live in unreached people groups. Christianity is nearly one generation away from extinction, as I said, unless we go, unless we're not, we don't become a caboose. We're that one generation away from the whole world knowing Jesus. If you will be an ambassador, if you will go, if you will stand there and hold up the rope, if you can't go, today's the day to make a decision. And I'm calling upon you to, to bow with me right now as I have the opportunity to pray for you. And then I'll be here at the end of the service in the front to pray if any of you feel God's mission call. Roger and Karen will be over in the booth over in the patio afterwards as well. And uh, get a chance to share with you more about our ministry. Let's bow together. Thank you, Father, that when I was 16, Somebody brought the gospel so that I would hear it and that I would say yes. And Lord, what a great adventure it's been. For my friends from the Alexandria Covenant Church, Lord, I ask today that if you are speaking to them, if you are tapping them on the shoulder, if their heart is pounding because they know that you are calling them to some local ministry or some faraway ministry, Lord, that you'd make that super clear and known to them even today. And God, others... Lord, I ask you to help them to see how they're going to hold the rope, to make sure that any mission field that they're attached to and they love, that they would do all they can to support those missionaries and those ministries. Lord, if you don't want to be a part of the caboose of the apostolic train, help us to do our part, to go and to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, in whose name I pray, amen.